Well, welcome to all those who are joining us online or in satellite groups. We're so glad that you're with us and also welcome to all of you who are with us in person. A couple of announcements for us today. First of all, we are so excited you guys to be hosting our first ever women's conference right here on our church campus. So you don't want to miss it. We have an option to join us in person. The cost of in person is $25. It includes lunch. The cost of joining us online is just $15. Some of you have asked about lunch and whether we have options for people who are vegan or have special dietary restrictions. We are going to try our best to do that. So when you register, there's an option for you to mark different dietary needs and restrictions. You can do that when you register. Um, but we're so excited. It's March 11th and 12th, and it's just going to be a great chance for our women to gather together, be encouraged by God's word, and just have lots of fun together. So we encourage you guys to come, invite a friend. Registration is open, so you can register on our website, and we hope that you will join us. And then uh, last announcement is we want to remind you that we give an optional offering here at Women's Bible Study. And if you decide to give to that offering, we just want you to know where that money goes. That money goes to just uh, help support and cover the costs of some of the things related to Women's Bible Study. So tech needs, video, the printing of the study guides, childcare, things like that. So if you decide to give to the offering, um, just know that that's where that money goes. And thanks to anyone who is giving to our Women's Bible Study offering. Well, ladies, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in as we continue in our study in the book of 1 John. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you uh, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you speak through your word, Lord, and that your word is living and alive and active and that it's life-changing, Lord. So, God, we pray that you would change us today through your word. I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of this place differently than, we, than when we came in, Lord. Um, so God, would your Holy Spirit just move here in person? Would you move in our online groups, our satellite groups, everyone who's watching, Lord? And would you change us and uh, grow our love in you, grow our love for you, Lord, grow our trust for you, deepen our faith in you, Jesus. So God, we pray all this in your great name, Jesus, amen. All right, well, ladies, this weekend, Women's Bible Study, in our study guide, if you've been following along, we've been in 1 John 2, verse 12 through chapter 3, verse 18. And so today, what I want us to do is just dig into some of those verses. We're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to dig into some of them and just see what God's word has to say to us. I want to remind us, I think Coley shared this with us last week, but 1 John is written to Christians. So that's who John is writing to. He's writing to Christ followers. And so there are oftentimes, you might have noticed this, where he refers to the people he's writing to as children or little children. There are times where he refers to them as children of God. And so it's important to know and understand what John means, what it means to be a child of God. So we're going to look at that as we jump in. Um, the scriptures will be on the side screens. We're going to start with 1 John 3, starting in verse 1. And here's what we read. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." 
So oftentimes people, when they talk about children of God, they will refer to all humanity as children of God. They'll say every man or every woman is a child of God, but that's not actually what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach that God loves all of us. The Bible does teach that God created all of us in his image, but the Bible teaches that to be called a child of God means you need to be adopted into God's family, and the way you do that is through your faith and your trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So when John calls these people children of God, he is referring to them as children of God because they've given their lives to Christ, they've said yes to Jesus, they've been saved by the blood of Christ and his work on the cross, and they've been adopted into his family. So for those of you here who have said yes to Jesus, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God, you have been adopted into God's family. And if that's you, then what John wrote, what we just read is also true of you, where he says, beloved, you are God's children now. Your identity is that you are a child of God. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been born again. You are a new creation. The Holy Spirit is living and dwelling within you, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to live the life that God has called you to. I love when my friends have babies. I also loved when I had babies and I miss being pregnant, but those days are in the past. Um, I love when my friends have babies and getting to meet them because it's so fun to see, do they look like the mom? Do they look like the dad? Do they look like a mixture of both? Like, who do they look like? When my kids were born, I have twin boys. Everyone thought that they looked like my husband. So everyone was just like, they are little mini Byrons. Byron is my husband. But I say this to say a child often resembles his or her parents, right? Because they're part of the same family. And so in that same way, as children of God, we should resemble our heavenly father. We should look like him. We should love like him. We should act like our heavenly father. The way we live should look like our heavenly father, right? If we are children of God, if we're adopted into his family. So if you're a child of God today, if you are a child of God now, how much do you resemble the Father? Would people at work or at home or in your personal life say, yeah, she resembles the Father? Would your family, the people you live with, your roommates, your kids, would they say living with you, yes, she resembles the Father? When you are in your car driving on the 210 or the 405 or any of the freeways here in Los Angeles, would anyone look at you and say, she resembles the Father? For those of us who are children of God, today we should resemble the Father today. We should live and look like him. If you are here and you have never said yes to Jesus and you've never said yes to becoming a child of God, and having God forgive you for your sins, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our time together because that invitation is open to anyone who's ready to give their life to Jesus. Here's what John, the Gospel of John says, chapter one, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The great invitation to become a child of God is open to all. God loves all of us. God sent Jesus to die for all of our sins on the cross. We were all created to live in a right relationship with God, but sin broke that relationship. And the only way to make that relationship right again is through God's grace in 
in us placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Earlier, I shared that if we are children of God, we should look and live and love differently, right? We should live and look and love like our Heavenly Father. And so in our reading in 1 John, I think John gives us a few different ways that as children of God, our lives should look. And so I wanna highlight just two of those today. And so we're gonna dig into two of these. So first, John tells us, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Here's what he says starting in chapter two, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John says, do not love the world. And to understand this, we have to understand what John means by the world, because he's not saying don't love humanity. He's not saying don't love people, because we know from what God's word says, God loved the world, right? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? God loved you and I so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. But when John says do not love the world, he's talking about the corrupt systems of the world. He's talking about the values and the ideas and the ways of thinking of this world that are opposed to God. The world defines success differently than we do. The world defines beauty differently than we do. The world defines relationships and marriage and truth differently than we do. The world values values independence, but God values dependence and interdependence. The world values wealth and riches and how much money we've invested in the stock market, but God values generosity and how much we've invested in his kingdom. The world values being at the top of the ladder of success, but God values humility and servanthood. So the ways of this world are opposed to the ways of God. And if we are children of God now, then we should be committed to the ways of God and not committed to the ways of this world. And so I would encourage you to think about where in your own life do you find yourself clinging to the ways of this world, to the values, the ways of thinking, the systems of this world? Where do you find yourself trying to succeed according to this world standards of success? And what would it look like to actually succeed according to God's standards of success? Where do you find yourself loving and believing what the world says is true, but what you really need to do is go back to God's word and love and study and believe what God's word says is true? One of the things I love is that in these verses, John tells us that the world is passing away. And I love that he says that because it's such a good reminder that one of the reasons it is so useless and pointless and worthless to love this world is because this world is passing away, right? This world is temporary, it's fleeting. This world is not gonna be the way it is today forever. I saw my uh, grandmother the other day and my kids and I were in her bedroom and my kids were looking at all of her jewelry and she has had a ton of jewelry over her lifetime. I think she used to work in jewelry so my kids are looking through all her jewelry and I said to her, hey grandma, didn't a lot of your jewelry get stolen many years ago? Ago, including your wedding ring. And she said, yes, it did. 
And mind you, at the time it got stolen, I'm assuming my grandma was disappointed and sad to lose that. But my grandma's a Christ follower. She's a child of God. And so we both looked at each other and just said something along the lines of, well, I guess it doesn't really matter because it's just stuff and we can't take it with us, right? And so the question is, do we live like that? Do we look at the world as though it's passing away and it's temporary? Or are we putting our hope and our trust and our dreams into the stuff of this world. John tells us, do not love the world. This world is temporary, but God's kingdom is forever. This world is not our home, but those who trust in Jesus will live with him forever. So children of God, recognize and understand that this world is temporary. We are not called to love this world, and we consciously choose not to set our hope and our trust on the things of this world. So first, John tells us, do not love the world. As children of God, we ought to not love the world. And then second, he says, as children of God, we need to love one another, love one another. And Coley mentioned this last week, and this is a common thing that's going to come up in 1 John, and so we're going to keep digging into this. But it's so important, this command to love one another. So here's what 1 John 3, 11 through 18 says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, referring to Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So John is basically saying, if you are a child of God, and if you live like a child of God, then you will love others. One of the ways that we resemble our Heavenly Father is by the way that we love others. The Greek word that's used for love in these verses is agape, or the verb form of agape, which is agapeo. I I always butcher that. Um, But it uses that word agape for love. And agape love refers to a giving and a sacrificial love. It's a choice we make rather than just a feeling that we feel. Agape love wants the best for others without expecting anything in return. The greatest model, of course, of agape love is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. John says, we read this in verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. So the reason we know love and what love really is is by looking at Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That's our greatest picture of what it looks like to love. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ gave up his life for 
for us. He went to the cross and he paid the ultimate cost because of his great love for us. And I think if we are honest, one of the reasons we don't love the command to love or one of the reasons we find it hard to love is because we don't always want to pay the cost that comes with love. When Jesus died on the cross, it cost him something. It cost him his life. It cost him pain and suffering. When we love others the way Christ loved us, it will cost us something. It might cost us time or money or pain. It might mean that you don't get your needs and your desires met. But the more we love people the way God's word tells us to means we're going to experience the cost of that love. One way we can assess how we're doing at loving others is if you look back on this past week or the last couple days and you just ask, what did it cost me to love others? What did it cost me to love my spouse? What did it cost me to love my kids, my roommate, my coworker, my neighbor, the barista at Starbucks? What did it cost me to love people this week? For most of us, we are faced with daily decisions, a lot of which are just small little decisions that if we're gonna choose to love others means it's gonna cost us something. An example of this, my husband is an introvert and I'm an extrovert. And uh, one of the ways I try to love my husband is by giving him introvert time. And I don't really get it. I don't need it. I don't want it. But I try to give him introvert time because he does. What I mean by introvert is an introvert is someone who gains energy from being alone. An extrovert is someone who gains energy from being with people. So if you are here and you're an introvert, you come to Women's Bible Study, you enjoy it, you spend time at your table, but then come 11.30, you are like, I am ready to go. I am drained no matter how good this was. I am drained of energy. Now I need to go be alone and recharge, right? An extrovert like myself and some of my other extrovert people out there, an extrovert comes to Women's Bible Study, loves it, enjoys it, spends time with people, 11.30 rolls around, and then it's like, all right, so what are we doing next? Who can I talk to? I just have so much energy from being with people. But my husband is not that way. And so what I've tried to do is to start giving him time alone because I know what a gift that is to him. But the truth is, that costs me something. So I've given him some time alone on a Saturday, which is our only day off together. And that costs me something because it basically means I have less help with the kids. I have less help around the house. I don't get to necessarily have as much time that I want to do things. Some of the things on my to-do list don't get checked off. And it also just costs me because I'm an extrovert. So I would rather have my husband with me and the kids 24 seven than not. But I have to set that desire aside and say, I don't understand what my husband's doing in his introvert time or why he likes it, but I want to give that to him as a gift to him. So that's one of the best ways that I can love him. But again, that costs me something. So if we really love one another the way that God calls us to, the way that the scriptures tell us to, it will cost us something. But we also have to trust and believe that that cost will be worth it. And so really quickly, I want to share just three quick practical things that I think we can go that I think we can do to grow in our ability to love one another. So the first is to spend time with people. Spend time with people, and this sounds like a no-brainer, you guys, but it's really hard to love people if we don't actually spend time with them. For me, one of the blessings of this pandemic season has been the amount of extra time I've had at home with my husband and my kids. It's been a great blessing. But one of the challenges of this season has been how little time I spend with people outside of my family. I love to host, I love to have people over, but I just, I haven't done that as much in the last year and a half. I don't hang 
out with as many people. I've had some friends who I haven't talked to in months. Some of my relationships aren't where they used to be. Even I have so many less opportunities to spend time with just strangers or people in the world, like at Target or Starbucks or just the random strangers that I might meet because I'm not out as much. I don't know about you guys, but one of the things I started doing in this COVID season was doing a lot of online shopping and order pickup. And I used to do this pre-COVID, but I do this a lot more now. So at Target, if you don't know about this, you guys, it is amazing. Target does drive up order where you don't even have to go into the store. You can literally sit in your car and someone will bring your stuff out to you. And so I do that now. I used to go to Target two to three times a week pre-pandemic. I love Target. But now... I sit at home on my phone, I place my order, they tell me it's ready, I drive to Target, I keep my windows up, I'm in the car with my kids, I text them that I'm here, a guy or a gal comes out, they sort of wave at me, I show them my code through the window, I point to the trunk saying like, hey, you can put my stuff in the trunk. Sometimes I wave at them, sometimes I don't. They leave, I go home, I look at my Target stuff, and I never really had to interact with people, right? So I think one of the challenges this pandemic season is we in many ways have had less opportunities to engage with and interact with strangers or people that we might not normally interact with. And so one of the things we have to do if we really want to love people is just be intentional about spending time with them. And so whether you feel comfortable meeting with people in person, whether you feel more comfortable in the season meeting online or via a Facebook group, whatever you do, my encouragement is just start reaching out to people. Start being intentional about making community a bigger part of your life. I had two girlfriends over for breakfast a couple weeks ago, and it was really the first time I had done that in ages, and it felt a little weird actually I didn't totally know what I was doing because I hadn't done it in so long but I just decided this year I was like I have to be intentional with community I have to start building these relationships again so initiate reach out to people spend time with them so first we need to spend time with people second we need to change our expectations change our expectations and what I mean by this is oftentimes we can come to things like women's Bible study or community or church. And if we're honest, our expectation is that we would get our needs met. So we come hoping someone's going to welcome us, hoping someone's going to ask us how we're doing, hoping someone's going to listen to us, hoping someone's going to pray for us. We come from a hard week or a hard month and we want people to invest in us and pour into us. And those are not bad things. Those are good things. And our hope is that those things are happening here. But oftentimes we don't come to something like this expecting, you know what, to love the women at my table, to love the women at Bible study is going to cost me something. No matter what my week was like, what would it look like for me to welcome another woman, to pray for another woman, to say, hey, I had a hard week, but let me hear about your week. How was your week? How can I support you in this? And so we need to change our expectations. We need to start expecting and believing that if we truly walk around committed to loving one another, that it's going to cost us something. So what if we went into each day committed to that, committed to loving others in a way where we know if I'm truly loving people today, this is going to cost me something. What if we went into our women's Bible study groups today and thought, you know what, what will it cost me in this group and how can I love people 
the way that Jesus loves. Even when you think about your Women's Bible Study group leader, and I wanna give a special shout out to all of our leaders who are leading Bible study groups, if you're in person, if you're online, if you're a satellite group, if you're leading a life group or any sort of group at our church, I want you guys to know leaders pay a cost. When you step into leadership of a group, you know that there is a cost associated with that. But you do it because you know the cost is worth it. You're committed to loving Jesus and loving others. And so I even want to encourage you, how can you, if you're not a group leader, how can you show love to your group leader? How can you go in to your group thinking, well, I, I'm going to change my expectations rather than expecting my leader to pour into me. How can I pour into them? How can I pray for them? How can I love them? So how might we need to change our expectations when it comes to loving others? And then third and finally is do something. Do something. We read earlier this verse from 1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's not enough to talk about loving people or to have the greatest intention of loving people or, hey, I had this great idea of how I could love people. I just never acted on it. But what we need to do is actually do something. We have to put our love into action. So what action can you take this week to intentionally love someone? What action can you take to intentionally love the women in your women's Bible study group? Or again, to love your women's Bible study leader or your spouse or your roommate or your kids or whoever it is. 1 John 3, 17 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So where is there a brother or a sister in need in your life and how can you show love to them? What is something that you have that you could sacrifice or give away? Maybe it's your resources, maybe it's money, maybe it's time, maybe it's a word of encouragement, maybe it's a gift or an act of service, but what do you have that you can do, that you can give away to meet someone else who is in need? If we want to love one another, we need to be intentional about spending time with people. We need to change our expectations and we need to do something. We need to act out this love that God commands us to and calls us to. So John makes it clear, if we are children of God, then we need to not love the world. We need to love one another and we need to remember and expect that that love is going to cost us something. And so as we close, I want to give us a couple of ways to respond. And so as we do this, I want to invite you to take whatever posture is comfortable for you. Um, you can close your eyes, you can bow your heads, whatever you want to do. But this is just between you and the Lord. And I want to give us a few ways that we can respond to what we've heard and what we've been talking about in 1 John. So first, there are some of you here who have never said yes to Jesus. You have never said yes to becoming a child of God. And I shared earlier that we would give you an opportunity to do that, but if you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you're here, if you're online, if you're watching in a satellite group, we wanna give you an opportunity to do that if you are ready to say yes to Jesus and yes to being a child of God. The gospel or the good news says we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And what we deserve for our sin is death. But Jesus Christ took that penalty. He took that punishment upon himself when he went to the cross. He took all of our sin to the cross. He died for our sin. He paid that penalty so that we don't have to. And he rose three days later and all who place their faith in Jesus Christ will be made right with God. They will become children of God. Their sins will be forgiven and they will receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus.
So if you're ready to respond to that good news, to the gospel, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the first time, you can do that right now. I'm gonna pray this prayer and encourage you to pray this after me, to say this to God and let this be your prayer and your first time commitment to him. You can just say, God, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again three days later. And I place my faith and my trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I commit to following you, God, all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, whether you're here with us, if you're online, we even gave you guys an opportunity to pray that prayer in the study guide this week. If you did that, we are so excited for you. We celebrate you. We welcome you into the family of God. You are now a child of God. What John said, what we read earlier, where John said, beloved, you are a child of God now. That is true of you. Whether you just gave your life to Christ or whether you gave your life to Christ years or decades ago. So if you prayed that prayer and made a commitment to Jesus, um, would you follow up with us? Would you let me or Coley know? Would you let your Bible study leader know? If you're watching online, there's an email where you can send us an email, but we'd love to follow up with you, celebrate with you, and also your next step is to get baptized, so we would love to share with you more about that. And then for all of us here, just a couple last ways for us to respond. I want to give us two ways and just invite us to sit with the Lord on this. So first, we talked about how John says, do not love the world, but love one another. So when it comes to the world, what is your relationship with the world? What's your relationship with stuff, with possessions, with the things of this world, the systems of this world, with what this world tells us, tries to tell us is true? And are there any ways that you have been loving the world or living according to the world's standards and you need to repent? and say, no, I'm gonna live according to God's standards. So just take a moment and sit with the Lord on that. Invite him to speak to you. What's your relationship with the world? And what, what is God inviting you to? And then second, how can you intentionally love others this week? And what might that cost you? Maybe ask God to bring to mind the name of someone or someones in your life that you really need to intentionally love. And I wanna encourage you, this isn't just the person who feels like an enemy or the person that feels hard to love. This is also the person who feels easy to love or maybe some of the people closest to you. How can you intentionally love people this week and what is it gonna cost you? So talk to God about that. Ask him for whatever you need in order to love those people well.
And then finally, um, one of the things I've been thinking more recently is that I don't actually do a great job loving people. And one of the things that I've tried to do is to just pray and say, God, help me to love people. Because we can't do this on our own, right? And so I just want to encourage you guys, if you want to love people with the love of Christ, if you want to love people more and better than you currently are, just pray right now, a quick prayer, and just say, God, teach me how to love others. And so, God, we do pray this. We pray for the women here, for the women online and satellite groups and watching this, Lord, would you teach us how to love others? God, wherever there's a cost associated with that, would you give us strength? Would you give us um, servants' hearts, Lord? Would you send us out as women who want to serve others, who want to sacrifice for others, Lord, who are willing to pay whatever cost is necessary, Lord, for the sake of loving others. I pray even today, Lord, that you would give us opportunities in our women's Bible study groups, that you would give us opportunities in our homes, in our workplace, wherever we're at today and this week, Lord. Would you just give us divine opportunities where it's so clear that you're putting someone in our lives that we need to love, Lord, and would you help us to love them well? So God, would you send us out as women who do not love this world, but women who are known for loving one another. God, thank you for our identity as children of God, for all who have said yes to you. God, thank you for every woman who just said yes to you, every woman who will say yes to you online or in a satellite group. Lord, we just thank you for all who have said yes to you, Lord, that you have saved us, you've made us right with God, and that we are children of God. So we love you, Lord. We pray all this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.